Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for gathering us together online. And even as we're now about to study, I pray that you send us your Holy Spirit. Lead and guide us, O Lord. Help us to understand this really important chapter. Help us, Lord, to see the truth. But more than that, help us to know how this applies to our life today. So lead and guide us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, if you do have questions, feel free to post it on there. I'll do my best to answer them as you type it out after the service or this study is over. Daniel chapter 11. Let's turn our Bibles there to Daniel 11, shall we? And um, <clears throat> Daniel 11 really is one of three chapters that are all connected. Daniel 10 to 12 are the ones that are all really just one vision. Daniel 10 is the introduction. Daniel 12 is the conclusion when we see Michael shall stand up and there shall be a time of trouble. But Daniel 11 contains pretty much the whole vision um, that is related to Daniel. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 11. And now, when I, and now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength through his riches he shall stir up all against the realm of Grisha. This is referring to the Medo-Persian Empire. And after Cyrus, there would be yet another four kings. First was Cambyses, second would be False Smyrdas, third would be Darius, and fourth would be Xerxes, who is also known as Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. And he is the one that is the far richer than they all. He was most famous for his wealth. He was the son of Darius, his thespis. And all this is mentioned in the Sabbath school lesson. It's history. It's something that's already taken place. But you see, Medo-Persia here in Daniel 11 is only given one verse. Of the 45 verses it has, only one verse is spent on the Medo-Persian Empire. In Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, there is all kingdoms mentioned. Daniel 7 is a repeat of Daniel 2. In Daniel 8, Babylon is left off. And in Daniel 11, Babylon is left off again, and Medo-Persia is almost forgotten. It's just one verse. And God is trying to tell us, look, I am not interested in Medo-Persia anymore. It was part of history. It was an important part of history, but we got to move on. Verse 3. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and according to his will. That mighty king is Alexander the Great. As we know, he will stir up all the realm of Grisha in verse 2. But how, we do know that, how do we know that this is Alexander the Great? Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. So here is very clear because... You see, in Daniel chapter 7, we saw a leopard with four heads. And then in Daniel 8, we saw the he-goat with the great horn. But when it was broken, out of it came four horns. And so here we see that when he will be broken, his kingdom or his dominion rather, would be divided towards the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. That's exactly what happened with Alexander the Great when he died. 
No one inherited his kingdom that was his family. It was divided amongst his generals, which was at the beginning 10 of them, which was whittled down to four, and eventually we'll see that it became two. Does anybody remember the four generals? In Daniel 11, it is really, really important that we know who these four generals are. The first is Seleucus, then it is Ptolemy, and Lysimachus, and Cassander. And so these are the four generals that fought over Alexander the Great's kingdom, and it was divided into four sections. However, it would eventually become two. Seleucus would be the one that would eventually conquer the kingdoms of Cassander and Lysimachus. He was considered the king of the north. Seleucus was considered the king of the north. And he was in that area from Greece all the way down from Rome up there and around to the side. And then Ptolemy was in Egypt. He was considered the king of the south. And Daniel 11 is a repeat and enlarge of chapter 2, 7, and 8, giving even more detail. So really, what we see from verse 5, so we've read up until verse 4 already. From 5 to 16, it is really talking about the kingdom of Greece. It is talking about the king of the north and the king of the south and how they would be having civil war between each other the whole time. I want to show you the detail to which this goes to. Let's go to verse 6. This is how much detail we're given in Daniel 11, okay? Daniel 11, verse 6. And in the end of years, they shall join themselves together. For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. Who would join themselves together? The king of the north and the king of the south. You see, since since uh, Alexander the Great died, they were fighting amongst each other for total dominion of the whole kingdom, but they could never do it. So finally, in verse 6, it says, at the end of years, they'll join themselves together. And how? For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. So Ptolemy Philadelphus, remember, Ptolemy is king of the south. Seleucus is king of the north. Ptolemy Philadelphus, the king's daughter of the south, he sent his daughter Bernice to marry Antiochus Theos, who was king of the north. And in doing so, Antiochus, the king of the north, he had to put away his current wife, whose name was Laodice, and she already was with child. So verse 6, it says, At the end of the years, they shall join themselves together, for the king's daughter of the south, Bernice, would come to the king of the north to make an agreement, King Antiochus Theos. So they would get married, but in getting married, he would have to put away his current wife, king of the north, his current wife. Her name was Laodice. However, verse 6 continues, but she shall not retain the power of the arm. Who was that she? It was, it was Antiochus Theos's second wife, Bernice, who had come from the king of the south. She married him. He put away his current wife, but she would not retain the power. What would happen? Neither shall he stand nor his arm. So 
Antiochus and Bernice were married for about two years, but eventually he would tire of his second wife and go back to his former wife, Laodice, who already had child with him. And so that she is referring to Bernice, and he would not stand. Why? Because even though he went back to Laodice, she did not trust him anymore. Eventually, she would poison him and kill him. Friends, never ever, ever deal with woman's wrath. It is dangerous. Anyways, he was poisoned by his first wife, Laodice. She didn't trust him. She wanted to make sure that her son would be the one that would rise to power. But let's come back to verse 6. But she shall be given up, and they that brought her, and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. Who is that referring to? It is referring to Bernice, the one that married um, the king of the north. She would be killed. Also her sons and the Egyptian servants that came with her from Egypt, all of them would be killed by Laodice. What I'm trying to show you here is how in Daniel 11, the detail there is very important. Now, it's probably difficult for us to really understand this fully because unless you're a student of history or unless you've gone through Daniel 11 before, it's, it, it kind of gets a bit boring. Why? Because you see, Asians, we, we don't really like history. Um, we, don't, we, we like economics, we like numbers, we like business, right? When it comes to history, it is a bit more difficult for us. But when it comes to religious history, this is very important because you get to see how in Daniel 11, every single verse is being fulfilled to the very T. And this helps us to pinpoint where we are in history in that verse at that point. Why? Remember, Daniel 11 is repeating Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and Daniel 8. It is a repeat of what we're studying again and again, but we're getting more and more detail. But we know the history of the kingdoms already. Really, what we want to get to is the end of the chapter. And so we're going to keep moving on. From verse 5 all the way up to verse 16, what you're going to find is that this is the kingdom of Greece. The civil war going back and forth between the king of the north and the king of the south. They're, they're fighting north and south, north and south. And there's another interesting observation that you have to take note of when it comes to Daniel 11. Every time you see the word stand or stand up, you're seeing a new king come into power or a new kingdom. That word stand is very important because when you get to Daniel chapter 12, it says, when Michael shall stand up. And so we see the end of a previous kingdom and going into a new kingdom. But what we're seeing, conflict between the two generals of Alexander the Great and much of this detail, if you want to go back and, and brush up on the history from verse 7 to 16, which I've skipped, I want to recommend you please go back and read Daniel and the Revelation by Uriah Smith. Ellen White herself recommended this book that we should sell it door to door. But let's continue. Verse 17 of Daniel 11 to verse 29 is what we are talking about, the, the kingdom of pagan Roman Empire. Pagan Roman Empire. So after Babylon, there was Greece. After Greece would be Rome. But how do we know this? 
Well, let's read from verse 19. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, and he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom, but within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. Um, Cleopatra and even Julius Caesar is mentioned in verse 17 there, and, you know, the famous Cleopatra. But in verse 20, what we're seeing here is that raiser of taxes is referring to Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. How do we know this? Let's go over to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. So please, follow along with me in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. This is what the Bible says. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This is during the time of the birth of Jesus. This is the reason why Joseph and Mary had to go back to Bethlehem for the census. And that's where baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But Caesar Augustus was the one that was the raiser of taxes. So in Daniel 11 verse 20, we already know that by that verse already, we are in the kingdom of Rome. But not only that, it says in verse 20, within few days, he shall be destroyed, neither in, in anger nor in battle. Caesar Augustus, he died a peaceful death. He wasn't killed in battle. He died peacefully. But let's keep going. Verse 21. In case you're still wondering, wait, how do you know we're in the kingdom of Rome? Verse 21. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Who was the one that came in after Caesar Augustus died? His name, Tiberius Caesar. He came in peaceably. He was the son, or I should say the adopted son of Augustus Caesar. And so he inherited the kingdom peaceably, but he was an eccentric and vile man. And that's what the Bible says about him. Um, how do we know that? Or how do we know that he came in next? Luke chapter 3. Let's go back to the Bible there. We were in Luke 2 just now. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Luke 3 verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, and tetrarch of Abilene. So we see here that Tiberius Caesar was the next ruler after Augustus Caesar. He was the ruler when John the Baptist appeared, preaching about the kingdom of repentance and the kingdom of God. So Daniel eleven twenty one, we are well and truly in the kingdom of Rome. Verse 22, And with the arms of a flood shall they be overthrown from before him, and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. Who is the prince of the covenant? All you have to do is go to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. That prince of the covenant is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And who was it that crucified Jesus Christ? It was Roman Empire. 
They were the ones that put him on the cross. And so if you're following this timeline, well and truly, by the time we get to verse 22, we know that we are in the kingdom of Rome. I wish you could all say amen so I know that you're following or that it's easy to understand, but we have to continue. So verse 22, really from verse 17 all the way to verse 29, we are in the empire or the kingdom of Rome, okay? And we want to move forward. Verse 29 and 30. These two verses are transition verses. Let's read verse 29 and 30. At the time appointed, he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or the latter. Something's changed. For the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenants. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenants. You see these ships of Chittim in verse 30. The ships of Chittim there are referring to the barbaric tribes that invaded Rome and ripped it into 10 sections. The ships of Chittim. And there was one tribe, they say, in particular that came from the sea. It was the Vandals. They also occupied northern Africa. So they came up and they came round, but they were known to come from the sea, the ships of Chittim. So we know that the 10 tribes are not really Roman Empire or Papal Roman Empire or what we know um, today as modern, the, the, the modern name is Catholic Church. But it was a transition period between the fall of Rome and the setting up of the papacy. But what I want to do is share with you two quotes from the pen of inspiration. And please, I want you to catch what Ellen White writes about Daniel 11. Because these next few verses from 31 onwards then become really important. I've tried to get through the first 30 verses as fast as possible. But these next 15 verses are really, really important for us today. This is what Ellen White says in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 14, paragraph 2. The book code is 9T14.2. The world is stirred with the spirit of war. The prophecy of the 11th of Daniel has nearly reached its complete fulfillment. Soon the scenes of trouble spoken of in the prophecies will take place. So as Ellen White was writing over a hundred years ago, she said that the 11th of Daniel has nearly reached its complete fulfillment. And you're wondering why, why are we taking time to study the history? Why don't we just jump to the end of the book and help us to understand what it's talking about there instead of focusing on all this past? There's a reason why we're going through this, especially these next 10 or odd verses. But the other quote that I want to share with you is taken from Manuscript Release, Volume 13. Its book code is 13MR394, Paragraph 1. 13MR394, Paragraph 1. This is what Ellen White writes. We have no time to lose. Troublous times are before us. The world is stirred with a spirit of war. Soon the scenes of trouble spoken of in the prophecies will take place. 
the prophecy in the 11th of Daniel has nearly reached its complete fulfillment. Now listen to this. Much of the history that has taken place in fulfillment of this prophecy will be repeated. Did you catch that? Much of the history that has already taken place in the fulfillment of this prophecy will be repeated. This is the reason why we have to study this first 40 or odd verses of Daniel 11, because this history will be repeated, she says. In the 30th verse, a power is spoken of. This is Daniel 11 verse 30. In the 30th verse, a power is spoken of that shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenants. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenants. And then in, in her writing, she quotes Daniel 11, 31 to 36, which is what we are about to study. Scenes similar to those described in these words, Daniel eleven thirty one 31 to 36, will take place. We see evidence that Satan is fast obtaining the control of human minds who have not the fear of God before them. Let all read and understand the prophecies of this book, for we are now entering upon the time of trouble spoken of. I want you to catch this. Daniel 11, verse 31 to 36, she says, scenes similar to those described will take place. In other words, friends, what we're about to study in the next six verses, she says, will repeat itself. History will repeat. The book of Ecclesiastes says, God requires that which is past. You want to know the future? Study the past. If you want to know what's coming, go back and look in history. There is nothing new under the sun. But in Daniel 11, we're given a microcosm of something that will be repeated again, which will help us to see those last few verses which have yet to be fulfilled, repeated. So, verse 31 of Daniel 11. Let's go there now. <clears throat> Daniel 11, verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. I want you to notice here at the beginning of verse 31, she says, rather the Bible says, arms shall stand on his part. The king of the north would have an army or arms that would stand on his part. The Catholic church has never had its own army. It's always borrowed power from another kingdom. And in this case, we see this fulfillment when the French kingdom and general uh, and King Clovis, he gives his army to the Catholic church. This is the first step that we see here in verse 31. An army is given to the king of the north and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice. So how is this arms given to the Catholic Church? All you need to do, friends, is go and study Revelation 13. And you will see USA in prophecy, and you will see how that United States of America breathes life and gives life to the image of the beast. And so we see arms stand on the part of the image of the beast in Revelation 13. What is the image of the beast? That is another study 
for another time. But here it talks about the taking away of the daily sacrifice. And the, the daily has been discussed already in Daniel chapter 8. I could spend more time here, but this is not the focus of our study this morning. And it said also, it shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Friends, what are we seeing come together in verse 31 of Daniel 11? We see the mingling of church and state, churchcraft and statecraft. We saw this in Daniel 2. The iron, state, the clay, church. We saw this also in Daniel chapter 7 very clearly. The little horn was on top of the dragon's head. The dragon, he was Rome, the state. The horn represents, in the Bible, we see horn of salvation. It's religious. We see coming together church and state. And here in verse 31, the king of the north, represented by the Catholic church, religious, is given arms, political power. Let's continue. <clears throat> verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. What does verse 32 and 33 highlight? Friends, that is none other than the dark ages. That is the papal persecution of 538 to 1798. How do we know? In verse 32, who are those that do know their God and that were strong? Well, there was always a group throughout the Dark Ages, even though the Catholic Church reigned supreme, even though you'd walk down the street and all you saw was one church, there was no other church that was present during the Dark Ages. For if you were, you would be persecuted. God's people were hiding. People such as the Waldensians, the Albigenses, the Huguenots, the Anabaptists, and of course, the great reformers. All these groups you can read about in the book, Great Controversy. And if you've ever struggled with the book, Great Controversy Like Me, it's, it's understandable. You know why? Because the Great Controversy has a lot of history. Friends, I want to suggest that if you're going to study Daniel 11, that, or, or rather, if you're going to read the Great Controversy, that you study in light of prophecy, and that is when it becomes exciting. And that is when you can probably get through the, the book of uh, the Great Controversy without having to start and repeat it over and over again. But in the great controversy, you will read about the Waldensians. You will read about the reformers and the great men during the Dark Ages that stood up against papal persecution for fear of their life and for death. They would still stand up and they would still fight for the truth. But in verse 33, it says what? They that understand among them, among the people, shall instruct many. Who is that referring to? Well, at least we know it's referring to the Waldensians. The Waldensians were a very unique and pure group of people. They never came out from papal darkness like the reformers. They were a group that were hidden up in the Swiss Alps there. They had a college of the barbs. They had a very strong educational system. And these, the, the, the word of God was precious in those days. They didn't have a printing press. So whatever they had, it had to be handwritten. And so really, the Waldensians, they had the Bible in pieces. 
and they, they would switch it. And they would have one week, I have this section, and they would go and memorize the Bible. But Bible memorization was a very, very big part of the program for the College of the Babs, for the Waldensians. You can still see that little building up there in the Swiss Alps. I've actually visited it before. Very impressive. But friends, they instructed many, and they would go down from their, their country home into the cities, and they would pose as merchantmen, Ellen White says. And where they found people that were possibly interested with the truth, they would take out precious little scrolls that they had handwritten, and they would share it with people at the cost, possibly, of their own life of being found out. But this is how they went about instructing people. This is how they were strong. But yet it said, many would fall by sword, by flame, by captivity, by spoil, many days. The persecution was great in those days. That only took place after the king of the north received arms that would stand on his part. Remember, friends, if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, this is the, the one little equation that we would have learned back in Daniel 2 long time ago. Church and state always equals persecution. Whenever the church and the state comes together, it always results in persecution. You see this with the persecution of Jesus Christ when the priests came together with Pontius Pilate and as a result, they were able to crucify Jesus. So church and state, when they come together, always results persecution. Daniel eleven thirty four. Now when they shall fall, referring to the reformers, those that lived during the Dark Ages, the Waldensians, they shall be hoping with little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. You know, friends, what the Catholic Church has failed to do with persecution, with the fire and with the sword and threatening people to death, they were able to accomplish with flattery, with honor and money and worldly privileges. Many left their faith, many allowed their faith to get corrupted and tainted, and they lost the peculiarity of faith, and as a result, they stopped fighting against the Catholic Church. Verse 35, And some of them of understanding shall fall, to try them, and to purge, and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for an appointed time. Still referring to the Dark Ages. They shall fall, they will be tried, they'll be purged, they'll be made white. Even until when? The time of the end. We will look at that when we get to verse 40 later on. Verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself, and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. By this time, we already know that we are in the kingdom of the Catholic Church, and here is given even more detail. It's almost as if Daniel's trying to tell us, look, just in case you might be confused, I want to give you so much detail beyond any unreasonable doubt that this is the Catholic Church. Friends, if, if you're hearing this for the first time, I don't have anything personally against the Catholic Church. It is just the power 
that the Bible prophesies of in Bible prophecy. But in verse 36, the king shall do according to his will, the Pope. He shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every God. And that's exactly what the Catholic Church has done. They've claimed to be able to forgive sins. And that was only the prerogative of God himself. And shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper. And this is exactly how the Catholic Church has made its money. The doctrine of indulgences. You can pay for forgiveness. You can pay for all these things. And um, you can pay for your dead loved ones to get out of hell quicker. Salvation can be bought. This is how they prospered. And then, verse 37. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of woman, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Sounds exactly like what Lucifer wanted when he was in heaven, wasn't it? Magnifying himself above the God of gods. He wanted to be magnified above all. But let's keep reading. Verse 38. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Who, who did the Catholic Church honor? A God of force. That's when they received the arms that stood on their part. But then he, they would also honor a God whom his fathers knew not. And friends, there is one God that the Catholic Church has honored that the apostles never honored, that Jesus Christ never honored, that the Israelites of old never honored, nor any Christian denomination even today has honored, and that is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. They've put her on a pedestal, and they call it the Immaculate Conception, that she must be some amazing person to be able to give birth to such a child, the Son of God. So they have honored a God whom the fathers knew not with gold, silver, precious stones, and pleasant things. Verse 39, Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory and shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. So friends, what I want to remind you here as we've gone through verse 31 all the way to 39, almost 10 verses, I want you to notice something here, and I want to repeat something that I already mentioned. 13 manuscript release, or manuscript release volume 13, 13 MR 394. This is what Ellen White says. Much of the history that has taken place in fulfillment of this prophecy will be repeated. And she says, scenes similar to those described in these words, Daniel eleven thirty one to 36, will take place. So allow me to summarize what we've just seen in these past nine verses. Number one, military force of state supports the king of the north. The political comes together with the religious. Military force is given to that religious power. That's the first thing. Number two, church or state union is formed. That's what we call the abomination of desolation. Number three, persecution of God's people. From 538 to 1798, the Catholic Church for 1,260 days persecuted. And that would be repeated. But then we'd also see number four, 
king of the north, papal Rome, comes to its final end. So these four things. Number one, military force is given to the king of the north. Church and state union is formed. Persecution takes place. And finally, king of the north would come to an end. And we want to remember this because remember she says, much of the history that has taken place in fulfillment of this prophecy will be repeated. So now, let's jump to verse 40. From 40 to 45, much of this is history. Some people think even verse 40 is still prophecy, but at least from what we, where we stand here today and what I'm going to share with you and even what the Sabbath school lesson talks about, it is history. Let's go through it. Daniel 11 verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, the king of the north. So who is the king of the south? Who is the king of the north? We'll see in a minute. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Well, let's start with identifying what the time of the end is. At the time of the end, will the king of the south push at him? In Daniel, the book of Daniel, there are a few places that we see time of the end. In Daniel 8, it's mentioned, understand, O son of man. Uh, Daniel 8, verse 17, I'm sorry. It says, understand, O man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. That really doesn't give us a clear understanding of what the time of the end is. But if we go back to Daniel 11 and verse 35, you probably would have missed that I actually read it. But let's read this again. It helps us to understand a bit about what the time of the end is. Daniel 11:35, And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge them, to make them white. This was papal persecution. This was the Dark Ages. Even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And there are only a few times that are appointed in the book of Daniel. Time, times, and half a time. That's Daniel 7.25. So that is the papal persecution, 538 to 1798. And then we also have the 2,300 days of Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. And that also is time. But here, the time, times, and half a time seems to fit more clearly. Why? Because the Catholic Church would only persecute until 1798. And we see how it fits. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. Do you see that word push? It means not just I push you, but it's like gore, like with an intent to kill. That's what the Hebrew word there describes. So the king of the south came in and tried to kill the king of the north. Well, what was the kingdom in 1798 that came and successfully gave the Catholic Church a deadly wound? It was none other than Napoleon and his general Berthier during the time of what we call the French Revolution. And so it was that atheistic power. Yes, they were not literally in the south. France is not south of where Rome was. 
But you see, Egypt represented that atheistic power. In what sense? You see, when Moses came before Pharaoh and he was asking to let the children of Israel go free, at one point in time, Pharaoh said, who is God that I should obey him or honor that request? When he talked about who is God, it's not as if he didn't know. Several plagues had already fallen. The stick had been turned into a snake. He had seen how the powers of God far outweighed the powers of his so-called magicians. And so when he stood there and he said, who is God? He claimed ignorance. He claimed atheism. And France was that atheistic power that would come out in 1798, or really a time before that, and would overthrow the kingdom of the, the Catholic Church and give it a deadly wound as is mentioned in Revelation chapter 13. And so we see Daniel 11 really fulfilled already, at least part of it. But let's go back to verse, verse 40, shall we? Daniel 11 verse 40. So the king of the south pushes against him in 1798. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with ships and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Well, what we're seeing here, at least at the end of that verse, the Catholic Church, the King of the North, they would come against him, the King of the South, like a whirlwind with what? Chariots, horsemen, and ships. We see history repeating. Arms will stand on his part. And some people point this to the fall of the Berlin Wall the fall of atheism back there in the 80s. When USA and the Catholic Church came together to plot the fall of that atheistic power. And so in some sense, people think that verse 40 is fulfilled. But remember, there are two things that should take place. Number one, military force of state supports the King of the North. We've seen that already. Number two, what did we see back in verse 31 to 39? Church-state union is formed, the abomination of desolation. We are seeing it take place, although we haven't seen its fulfillment totally in our day. Why? Because if church and state come together, remember we talked about this just now, when church and state come together, what does it equal? Persecution. That has not taken place yet, at least not in its total fulfillment. Did the Catholic Church and U.S. come together to cause the fall of atheism? I don't deny that. And that is a partial fulfillment of Daniel 11 verse 40. But I don't believe it's totally fulfilled. Let's keep reading verse 41. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. The debate over the glorious land, you know, the Sabbath school wisely keeps it out. But we've already seen it. The glorious land, it's mentioned in Daniel 8, the pleasant land. That glorious land was a land of the Israelites, Canaan, something that were given as a gift. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It, was, it reaped such a bountiful harvest that two people had to carry a cluster of grapes and figs between them back after they came back from spying out the land for 40 days. So 
that Canaan was the glorious land. And this is important, and it's also prophetic. What is that glorious land? Some people identify it as United States of America. Others identify it as God's chosen people. And I, I really don't disagree with either. Why? Because God's chosen people, the Adventist church, in a sense, they started up in the United States of America. But here's the thing. It says here that the glorious land would be entered into by the king of the north. It seems like king of the south and king of the north are, are having this argument, but all of a sudden they turn its attention to the glorious land. And many countries shall be overthrown. So not just the glorious land. What are we seeing here? We're seeing world dominion. We're seeing it go from national to from civil war, now over, overflowing from its boundaries to other kingdoms. It is a world well, how do you say, a world, world situation that we're, we're going into. And it says, even these shall not escape out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the chief children of Ammon. Who are those? Those are the ones that are not accounted among God's people. Even some of them would escape and come in at the last hour of earth's history. So we see persecution taking place already. So remember that there are four things that we talked about, what we saw in Daniel 11 from verse 31 to 39. Number one, military force given. Number two, church and state coming together, abomination of desolation formed. Number three, papal persecution or persecution of the saints. And finally, the king of the north coming to an end. We are already seeing the third stage taking place, persecution of the saints. We're given more detail. Verse 42. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his step. This sounds like the mark of the beast already. Do you know that? Why? Because in Revelation 13, when it says the mark of the beast comes in, no man may buy or sell. And here in verse 42 and 43, rather 43, it says, He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. If the king of the north has power over the treasures of gold and silver, it's up to their discretion as to whether they want to sell to you or not, whether they want to accept your currency or not. No man may buy or sell. So we are seeing economy being restricted. We are seeing the mark of the beast come in. This is none other than the persecution of the saints at the end of time. Verse 44. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. This is still the persecution of the saints. Verse 45. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. So we see at the final end there in verse 45 that the papacy, the Catholic Church, would finally come to an end. In 1798, it received a deadly wound. And at the end of time, shortly after the institution of the mark of the beast, the papacy would once again be destroyed. But this time, 
finally and forever. Now, we see all of this being repeated. And maybe we've looked at Daniel 11 in two great abroad brush strokes. But unfortunately, this is all the time that I have to give you trying to do Daniel 11 in one hour. However, I do want to leave with you something that's really important for us in studying this chapter. It's not just about history. It's about history repeating. It's not just about knowing history and knowing where we are in time, but knowing how we should live in this time. And what's the message? That yes, the dark ages are going to come again. Ellen White talks about the times of persecution. And she says, usually our anticipation of danger or trouble is greater than what we ever imagined. But you, um, no, the anticipation is greater than what the reality is, sorry. But not so with a time of trouble. When it comes time to the time of trouble, the time of papal persecution, when the saints will be persecuted during the mark of the beast, she says, you try to imagine it and your imagination cannot reach the magnitude of how bad it really will be. Friends, how can we be ready for the papal persecution? We can't, we can't stop the, the union of church and state coming together. It will come eventually. But today, it is in our power to be ready. It is in God's timing to put an end to this kingdom once and for all, finally one day. But that is not within our power either. What was, is within our power is our preparation for this time. And Daniel, the book of Daniel, gives us the preparation. In Daniel chapter 1, the lesson that we learn is faithfulness in little things. Little things like what? Diet, what we eat and what we drink. Does it matter? Absolutely. In my church, we've recently gone on an exercise challenge and then a vegan challenge. And you know, I've been going vegan mostly, but when I had to get that badge from our church, from, from SAC there, our, Sean, our, our health director, I tell you, when you think about going vegan, it's very difficult. There's a lot of things there to consider. And maybe you're not even at that stage. Maybe you're just vegetarian. Um, you're, you're thinking and considering going vegetarian. But you know, friends, diet plays a very big part in how our brain functions. The clarity of our thought, to be able to process the words that we're listening to and reading, and even how God is able to communicate to our hearts and minds with the Holy Spirit. Diet, very important. Daniel chapter 2, praying friends. When the king went into a rage of fit because no one could tell him his dream, Daniel came and says, give me time. And instead of going back to his room, praying by himself, he sought out his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they prayed together, and then the answer was given to Daniel. Oh, friends, in this time, we need praying friends. More than just your husband or wife, more than just your brother or sister. But this highlights the importance of choosing the correct spouse so that when times do get tough, you can pray for each other. Daniel chapter 3, music. Music is mentioned over and over and over again. Those musical instruments were played before they were to bow down to the golden image. Friends, music plays a very important part of whether we will even bow down to the image of the beast at the end of time in Revelation 13. 
Let me say it simply. A Christian has no right to listen to worldly music. And even some forms of Christian music we should be careful of. Daniel chapter 4. Let's not allow pride to get to our hearts. This was a chapter that Nebuchadnezzar went crazy and he began to eat grass for seven years. Uh, what was the reason? It was after God had warned him in a dream. After one year, he still walked throughout his palace and with pride he says, look at the kingdom that I have made for myself. And you know, friends, we got to be careful. Why? When we think of our successes and wealth and allow it to get to our head, thinking that we ourselves are the ones that have done all of this, we begin to forget God, isn't it? Daniel chapter 5, the fall of Babylon. What caused it? The wine of Babylon. Intemperance in diet. You see, it comes back again to the little things, what we eat and what we drink. And because of that, they ended up bowing down to gods of gold and silver and wood and hay and stubble. So friends, we've got to be careful with what we eat and drink. And then finally, Daniel chapter 6, when the law came in from the king of Medo-Persia, and he said no man was to pray to any other person for 30 days except me. Daniel still went and prayed to God. Habitual prayer. Friends, if there's anything that we should be learning um, in this time of lockdown, we have time to pray. We have time. Have you been praying? Have you been making prayer a habit? Have you been establishing that habit? It takes 21 days. And who knows? God might be giving us this time to establish that habit over this time. But friends, we've got to learn to pray. And even though we can't go to church, we can still pray to God in heaven, can't we? And so, Daniel 12, finally, is that conclusion. Friends, there, there is much that we can learn from Daniel 11, but it really brings us back to the whole book of Daniel and what we must learn throughout each chapter and what we must learn to apply as we continue to build up to this time. For friends, truly, we are living in serious times. This lockdown shows how easily it is for the government to impose a law upon us how easy it is for, for things to change just like that. And unless we are accustomed to prayer, unless we are accustomed to walking with Jesus, we'll be panicking. We'll be running here and there, and we will not know what to do. And in panic, we might do the wrong thing. Friends, today what we need is the character of Daniel. We need the character of Jesus Christ. And our redemption draweth nigh. We're much closer to the end than we ever imagined and believed. And truly, we're living in stupendous times. Let's bow our heads toward a prayer, shall we, as we end here. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for giving us Daniel 11. You've given us so much detail that we would not mistake where we are in earth's history. And truly, Lord, we are at the very end, the time where the papal persecution is about to take place again. The time where many martyrs will be made, many lives will be lost. And I pray, O oh Lord, that all of us here that are bowed with our heads bowed and our eyes closed will be part of that great number that would usher in your second coming at the end of time. So Lord, please be with us, guide us, strengthen us, help us to learn those important lessons from the book of Daniel, faithfulness in little things, our music, our prayer life, our, our food and drink. Help us, O oh Lord, 
to prepare our hearts and our lives to meet you on that great day. Help us, Lord, to prepare for that time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. And so, Lord, hide us in the shadow of the Almighty, under the shadow of the Almighty. Keep us from this pestilence, this virus that is going around. Protect us, O Lord, and grant us another day so that we might prepare our hearts and lives to meet you in that grand and glorious day of the second coming. So Lord, we just surrender our lives again to you this morning. Lead us continually, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.